to another episode of In the Trenches Sports. Sean Ludden joined alongside by the coach, Chance Clemens. And coach, we've got a fun one in store for everyone today. A lot to go through. Um, but, you know, I first I've just got to say, you know, I missed this last week on the podcast. I didn't get to wish you a happy Shark Week, but we're in Shark Week right now. So happy Shark Week, coach. Happy Shark Week to you. You know, I think this may be my favorite time of the year. See, I haven't gotten into Shark Week that much. I did when I was younger, but as I got older, it was a lot of like the same things over and over. And so I kind of just got bored with it. So I it is maybe try to check out Shark Week again. You know, it, it's a lot of the same program, but, you know, it's typically every night for like a two-hour block every night. They've got a few new programs, um, and more so later in the week, they start getting into the real fun, interesting ones. Earlier in the week, it's kind of those real drama ones that uh, there was one that was, uh, I think, my husband or something and a shark attack on Christmas or something like that. And it was just kind of one of those ho-hum ones, but uh, definitely get another shot. I'll have to check it out this weekend. So like I said, we've got a lot to go over today. Um, you know, we've got our normal coin toss, uh, got a couple fun subjects in that one. I'd uh, love to see what your take will be on the first one. We've got our NCAA preseason top 25. Um, we'll go over, we're uh, going to be releasing these um, five teams at a time um, over the next couple weeks. And then we have our AFC South breakdown. And uh, so we'll go over the AFC South, what we kind of expect from each team. Um, with the changes in the off season and how they did last year as well. But let's get this started with the coin toss. And Kyler Murray finally got himself the extension. A five-year, $230.5 million deal comes out to 46.1 mil a year with a $29,035,000 signing bonus. 104.3 million guaranteed at the signing and 160 million total guaranteed throughout the contract. But the big thing with this contract when it first came out is that he had a four-hour film study requirement for each week. And now the Cardinals have came out and removed that from the extension due to the negative attention it was getting for Kyler Murray and also the team. So do you agree with this or does Kyler Murray truly need to have a study clause? Um, I'm going to say tails. I, I thought the study clause was, it was kind of dumb. Um, and I don't really think it's a big deal because I'm sure he watches film. But for him, film could only be maybe an hour or two by himself because he's watching a couple like different things he wants to watch. Mm-hmm. 
everyone has an expectation that like a quarterback should be watching, you know, 10 hours of film extra a week, you know, because Brady or Peyton or whoever has done that. But it's like, that's not realistic sometimes. And for me, if the dude's never watched film by himself when he got to the pros, then kudos to you because you basically proved to everybody, hey, I can do this my way and get paid and be successful. Now to win a championship, yeah, you might have to lock it down a little bit and start focusing on a couple more things. And so I think that's what they're trying to encourage him to do is like, hey, we want to see you progress now a little further. But when you compare his stats for the first couple of years, he's one of the best rookie quarterbacks ever. Completion rating. Now his touchdowns aren't as great for the entire season, but some of that's on your offensive coordinator head coach mm-hmm. who kind of, you know, mid-season to end of the year kind of gets a little lackluster and doesn't know how to develop anything. So can't fully blame him on that. He has had some injury issues himself. So he's that's why he wanted this extension early to kind of maybe, you know, solidify some money before he got hurt again. And, you know, kind of like what we saw with Baker where he got hurt, the contract didn't happen. And so he kind of got bounced around and then traded out the door. Um, and so I think Kyler's kind of trying to help solidify himself as pay me early because I deserve it because I've helped you win. And I've been the difference maker so far. But I I kind of liked the study clause, but I think it was, I mean, it was kind of dumb. And either way, I don't think it made Kyler look bad. I think it made the organization look bad. Because mm-hmm. it just it shows so that they don't have trust in him. Yeah. And like, if you're really worried about it that much, then you can put that clause in there, but maybe do more coaching with it instead of just individually. Exactly. You know, so, and we, I don't know what system the NFL uses, but I know for us, we use Huddle, and you can easily turn Huddle on and just let it replay the same play or run through a playlist or a game or something, and you're sitting there playing 2K or Madden, and you're never watching film, but all it's doing is calculating the time that you're on there. Because mm-hmm. it doesn't show you what play you've watched. It just shows how long you've been on there. Yep. So, and especially for Kyler, who actually has an endorsement deal with a gaming organization, that could have been an issue. I don't think it would have been, but from a college player standpoint, like, we've seen several kids do that, you know? Now, for me with this, I'm one that I agree with the study clause, but for me, I, I kind of take that s- spin that you said on there, you know, just not make it individual for our requirement of, you know, film session 
make it to where he's in there with the coaches or in there with the quarterback room. And, you know, they're, they're working together and breaking it down together. Um, that way, if he has questions or, you know, the coaches see something or he sees something, they can go back and forth on each other and, you know, break down the offenses, break down the defenses, break down the schemes and everything else. And not only does that make him better because he's learning and constantly, you know, building his knowledge, um, but it makes the coaches better as well. It makes the rest of the team better. Everyone has something to learn from each person. Um, no matter how long you've been in this league or how short you've been in this league, there's always something new you're going to pick up on. So, you know, that that's kind of where I am with the study clause. Um, now, they, they put that in there for a reason because they thought – they obviously think he's not doing his job off the field. And part of me sees that translates onto the field as well. You know, yes, his numbers are good. Um, he's able to produce at times and everything. But where I see him struggle is reading those defenses, reading the secondary. And that is where you have seen, you know, mistakes come with Kyler Murray. And that's why he's in the backfield scrambling so much. One, yes, his receivers aren't able to get open. But then, two, he's held on the ball too long, missed his reads, and now he's got to make something up. And so if he was able to actually break down that play and see what was coming and anticipate it, then he might have been able to get out the play that was designed instead of, you know, running a chicken scratch. No, and I, I get that. I I can agree to a certain point. He lets his athleticism, athleticism take over. Mm-hmm. And I think at certain times he relies on it too much. Um, but sometimes as a coordinator, you have to try to help come up with ways to allow him to be creative without putting him in a situation to just try to scramble around and look for the deep ball because that's the only play you keep running. Yeah. So – I think part of it, I mean, it falls on both of them, but yes. now I, I completely understand what you're saying. So it's it's one where both sides of the coin, you know, you, you can take either side. Um, each person's going to have their own opinion on it, but it it was definitely an interesting interesting thing to see the Cardinals actually put that in there and now come back and retract it out. But um, – I don't think you would see another NFL team actually do this, even if they were having the same issue because they, they wouldn't want that PR nightmare. And I, that's exactly what the Cardinals created for themselves right here. And now they've got to try and fix this. And if I'm the ownership, I'm the front office of the Cardinals, I'm kind of questioning, you know, my GM and my head coach and also, you know, whoever wrote this contract for, you know, what they were thinking. Well, and like the Pelicans just did the, you know, just put a weight clause oh, in for the Zion weight clause. Now we see that a lot in the NFL. Now for the NBA, it, it is a little bit rare, but 
look at Zion. He needs to drop the weight. Um, yeah. Because he he's yes he's very physical, but look at the way the NBA is moving nowadays. It is not your big post center anymore. Your centers are coming out into the perimeter. They're shooting. They're fast. They're tall, lanky, slender, everything else. You know, guys like Zion are very rare now, and so teams are pushing them to fit the mold now instead of being the outside guy, um, you know, that, that's down low. And, you know, there's a kid who just came out of Louisiana Tech, um, and he's about the same build as Zion and everything else, and I, I wouldn't be – surprised if he gets something like that in the in a couple years too um with a, with an nba contract um when it comes time for him to resign just because of the type of build he has and you know how it does affect their movement on court yeah i mean in basketball like you said it's kind of moving pace but you can have big guys that are athletic and movable mm-hmm. you know um, the kid out of Denver, he first entered a league, and you just thought he was kind of a chubby, slow brick wall type thing. And he comes back the next year, and he looks great, but he's still huge, mm-hmm. you know. And I think Zion's still trying to figure out where you can be big and powerful, but you have to be able to keep your conditioning up and be more, you know more athletic yes and so if he if he can't make that transition he he could easily just be one of those guys that kind of gets written off in a couple of years hey you know what I'd, I'd be fine with if zion can't you know make the transition in the nba with the weight they want him to lose and get down to where they want him then come on over to the nfl zion your size your hands everything you'll be a good tight end I'd probably put him as a nose or a three technique. That too. That too. He's got he's got the physicality for both positions. Yeah. So all right. So we've mentioned a little bit of college there. You know, but now I think uh, with this coin toss, I'm kinda interested to see what year you're going to say with this one. Um I it piqued my interest when I saw this headline come out this week. Uh, so we all know Mario Cristobal comes out, uh, comes from Oregon, takes over the Miami, Miami program, comes back home to the U. And now with him taking over the program, the turnover chain that has had a five-year run in Miami and has really, you know, developed that defense with that swagger and everything is out. In my opinion, you you've got to keep the turnover chain because it's what – what the players on defense feed for. They feed for that, you know, that swagger, you know, what what they can, you know, trash talk on and everything else. And that turnover chain was that. And you being a defensive guy, you, you probably feel the same. Actually, I don't. I hate the turnover chain. It was a cute idea to help motivate players but Uh if you have to have a chain to motivate players your defense sucks 
And when you think of the U, if you think of a chain, then there is a big issue. And there is. And honestly, there is because we haven't seen. You haven't seen the performance come out of the U. No. And, you know, when you think of the U, you're thinking of Ray Lewis, Ed Reed, uh, Sean Taylor. There's so many defensive guys that were pro guys. There's guys that didn't even make the pros that were all-American phenoms almost, Mm -hmm. you know. And so – and it was more of just – now, the program was ran a lot different back then under a lot of different circumstances, but yes, there was still the attitude and the attitude of we're the best and everything like that. And for me, I just, I never got into the turnover chain because then one school picks it up and they do their own version. And then another school does this like TU has like a, a hat in honor of a former uh, person, you know, that's, really cool like fedora blue fedora but i i it's just to me it's it's more props and uh gimmicks than it is football and if you have to motivate players by doing that then you've lost your team which is kind of what's happened because miami was terrible the last five years yes no, I, I agree with you there. Um, and part of me also kind of wants to play devil's advocate and go with the route of, well, look at the type of players that, you know, we're coming out of high school now. They're the type of kids that have a very short attention span. You know, they're all about flash glamour and, you know, making themselves known in the, the five minutes of fame that they, they can get whenever they can get it. And so that turnover chain produced that. And... So for me, the motivation factor is a big thing. Um, Yes, as a coach, you have to do everything you possibly can to keep your players motivated. And in my book, if you have to have that, you know, a proper piece of recognition during the game to do that, well, then go ahead. You know, not all guys can wait till, you know, Saturday morning or Sunday morning, Monday morning, practice or film study to get stickers and have that as recognition to go on their helmets. Um, A lot of guys need that instant gratification and it did help their defense at times. Um, But like you said as well, the U has not been the U. Um, The lack of talent, the lack of play, um, commitment, dedication, everything, you know, at Miami has fallen off from what it used to be. And so I'm hoping Mario Cristobal, you know, he knows what that program means and what it it means to the city as well. Um, And also it's alumni. So hopefully now with this, he can bring in a new atmosphere and bring in a new recruiting class in a couple of years, you know, when he's, when his class does is able to finally come in um, and start making impact and hopefully he can change things around. Um, but it's, it's a double-edged sword. Um, you have to look at the type of players you have coming in, what, what type of recognition and gratification they, they like to receive. 
but then you you've got to look at it with your coaching staff too and see how they can keep their players motivated during a game but then also during that week no i agree i agree there's so the last so the last five bowl games they've been in out of the last six years because they didn't make one last year they've gone one and four and the one that they won was in 2016 mark's mark rich's first year they went nine mm-hmm. and four the next year they go ten and three but then they lose in the orange bowl then they go seven and six losing the pinstripe bowl go six and seven under manny diaz first year independence bowl they lose that then they go eight and three losing the cheese it bowl they go seven and five Winning one or two games more than you lost is not a winning season. No. Like, yes, it, it's theoretically a winning season, but for a program that considers themselves a top program, that's not a winning season. Double-digit wins are winning seasons. Yes. You know, so – and they've had a double-digit win for the – 2017 was the first time they had a double-digit win since 2003. So I'm interested to see what Mario will do. I am too. So we'll stay on the college side of things, and we'll go into our NCAA preseason top 25. Um. I'm excited to see what your first five teams are. Um, now, do you want to go first? Or do you want me to? Uh, it doesn't matter. Um, All right, I, Coach, take, take it away. Okay, so looking at your list and looking at my list, I'm basing mine off of last year's performance and how they finished the season. Mm-hmm. And then – you know, maybe just adjusting them up and down depending on how well they did and kind of what I think they'll do early in the season maybe. Um, but it's mostly based off of last year. And so you finished well. You finished in the top 25. Everything looks pretty good. I'll, you know, give you a benefit of the doubt and kind of keep you in the top 25. So my first team at 25 is Utah State. Had a strong year last year, so I'm going to keep them in the top 25 and see if they can move up. Uh, 24 is San Diego State, who had a phenomenal year. Yes. They they have a uh, schedule again this year that favors them. I don't know if it's a 12-win season schedule, but it'll help. Uh, Texas A&M gets the 23rd spot. They had a couple close games um, during the year. They had one or two games they should have won and one or two games that they just never showed up for. And so maybe they can change that around this year. If they had a great recruiting class, that really doesn't help this year. But if they can build off of it and get a little momentum behind it, um, I think they could be a team that jumps up. 10 spots 22 is 
NC State. And 21 is Arkansas, which might be a little low, but I think right now, I think that's a good spot for them. Mm-hmm. Now, for me, um, you know, we, we definitely vary here. Um, I've got – so I threw in some receiving votes as well. Um, I've got Wake Forest – team that was very strong surprise candidate last year um, just came out of the blue. So very impressed with Wake Forest last year. I think they might be able to start the season off um, hot as well. Um, so I, I kind of give them a, a receiving vote. Not um, Cincinnati, you know, they've lost a lot of crucial key weapons. Um, can they continue it? I, I don't think to start the season, they are going to be in the top 25. Um, but I think they're definitely a team to keep their eye on, but are they going to make the college football playoff again? No. Um, North Carolina uh, also receiving votes for me. Same with UCLA and Penn state. Um, all three schools, you know, battled um, through adversity last year um, and got the job done in crucial moments. Um, but then came up short at times too. Um, Penn State, we saw some great games last year, um, especially against Iowa. Um, but there were times where James Franklin and the Nittany Lions, they just couldn't close out. Um, so I, I think if they can get off to a hot start, look for them to jump up in the poll. Um, but right now they're, they're starting outside the top 25 for me. Um, so then I go into tw- uh, number 25. I've got Wisconsin. Uh, Wisconsin. Um, Badgers, great last year. Um, you know, they, they've they got a good young quarterback. He just needs to continue to develop. Um, I, I think that was his big part last year is he struggled early on and struggled into ball games where he couldn't he couldn't close out. He was making too many mistakes. Um, Texas, I've got 24. Um, I see some promise with the Longhorns. And I don't know. I, I kind of want to give them benefit of doubt this year. And so the, I, I'm starting them off in the top 25. But if they go out there, lay an egg, and do what Texas has done the last couple seasons and then lose to a Kansas Jayhawk team, then, you know, Texas, then – Fooled, fooled me once, shame on me, but fooled me twice, you know, shame on you. Um, you know, I, I shouldn't, shouldn't have done it. Um, Florida, they've got a great quarterback. Um, I, I think what Rodriguez is his name. Uh, and, I think uh, so. and, you know, I, I'm really excited to see what Florida does. They've got a, what new head coach coming into this season as well. Um, so I think Florida could make a ruffle a little feathers um, down in the SEC. Tennessee um, in at 22 for me. Uh, gosh, they're, they're so, over the last couple seasons, Tennessee has been, you know, ranked either so high or had so much promise coming to the season and they just lay an egg. So I'm really hoping this year for Tennessee is different. Um I'd like to see the Vols kind of get back into the SEC and make some noise. 
Um, I think this year they might be able to. And then Kentucky, my gosh, they had a great season last year. Um, you know, surprised a lot of people than Stoops. My goodness. Hey, we've got another Stoops changing the program around and, uh, you know, look for Kentucky to really, you know, make some waves, uh, in the SCC, you know, did I just go three in a row in SEC? I did. But I think Wisconsin, Texas, Florida, Tennessee, and uh, Kentucky, that's 25 through 21. And just better watch out for the next five. Man, I'm surprised you don't have any lower level schools in there. I just, I didn't fill them yet. Um, Who, who would you have thrown in? Um, oh, besides the two I kind of – I put in my list, the only team I took out that I had at 25 originally was BYU. Just I, – I think they had a – they had a solid year last year and kind of surprised a couple people. Mm-hmm. But their, their schedule this year, I think, is a little more challenging. And so I think they're going to come up short. Um, I think I had them at like eight and four for this season. And so they lose one or two more games than they had last year. Um, but that doesn't mean that's actually going to happen. So now, see, yeah, I think. Be a, I, go ahead. I think over the next couple of weeks, there, there might be some surprises with my top 25 that you're just, you're going to go, Sean, are you okay? Do you need to go see a doctor? But I don't know. I, there, there's gotta be those surprise teams. There's gotta be those surprise rankings. And if what I'm thinking is going to happen, will happen, then I think it might be the, the top 25 that after coming out of week one and two, that, you know, the rest of the nation's going to maybe roll with as well. All right. I'm excited to get the next five next week. So, all right. So done with the NCA. It felt good to talk college again. I'm glad we're getting to that point of the year. Um, only a couple weeks away from our first college football game of the season. And... But we've got to go back into the NFL. Got to go back to the AFC. We've got two divisions left. Training camp is going. Madden ratings are done and over with. And we're seeing guys come out on the physically unable to perform list. You know, season-ending IR already. Guys holding out. But then we've also got guys coming off of, you know, season-ending injuries from last year. Rookie quarterbacks coming into a new team with a veteran as well and trades that we didn't expect to have happen, but did happen. And a lot of that is all here in this one division. And a good chunk of it happened with the AFC South champs last year with the Titans as they drafted Malik Willis. And Ryan Tannehill came out and said he will not mentor him. He doesn't care to. It's not his job. Derrick Henry coming off the Liz Frank foot injury that a lot of times could be career ending. The wild card loss, a wild card loss to the Bengals, and then 
the big trade of A.J. Brown to the Eagles. So, Coach, tell me about these Tennessee Titans. What do you see happening? And is there a possibility they repeat for division? Or is maybe the Colts, Texans, or Jaguars going to surprise us? Right now I have the Titans finishing third in the division. I Derrick Henry's age, his production in the past, and his injuries have kind of scared me off of him being the workhorse that he's been in the past. And so I think that might hurt them a little bit, um, especially once they get to mid to late season. But they get rid of their top wide receiver. They bring in Robert Woods, which I think was a great addition. Yes. But once you got rid of AJ, you kind of looked at him to be your number one. And I don't, he's not a number one. He's a number two or a really good three. Mm-hmm. And so you're relying on the rookie, Birch from Arkansas, to kind of be that, uh, to be your next big star. I, don't know if he's going to be able to do that next year. Um, and this this almost reminds me this almost reminds me of the Ravens when they drafted Lamar and they had Flacco. You had two different total different offenses. You had an offense, and that's kind of what's going on here. Is the Tennessee Titans have an offense that is more run focused, open up the pass off the run. But you have a quarterback in waiting that is more now is he a better quarterback than Tannehill? We don't know yet. But athletically he is more gifted than Tannehill. So you open up the playbook to be a more still a run you could still do a run heavy offense like the Ravens and then maybe add the quarterback run in there. But you have more of the re-option, um, movable quarterback threat. And so, you know, I think if they ever make that decision to move on from Tannehill, which could be halfway through this year if something happens, or it could be in two years, this offense is going to change dramatically. And I think that's going to help their wide receiver core so much more. Yes. You know, and I, I'm in the boat of I've never been a Tannehill fan. Um, I don't think he's he – he's shown some promise, yes, over the past couple of years, but it was just a – it was a glimmer. It was – it's kind of like that fool's gold almost um, mm-hmm. kind of shine. And then you start seeing his true colors come out down the rest of the season into the playoffs – where he's not able to close out a ball game. He's not able to perform under pressure. And if if I'm the Titans, I'm not relying on him, you know, to get me back into the playoffs or get me further into the playoffs as well. Um, Yeah. I I think after this season, if they make the playoffs again and they lose in the first round or second round again, and it's because Tannehill is throwing picks or, you know, there's a costly error by him or the offense, I think Tannehill might be out and it's Malik's turn, but then that starts that kind of rebuild process. And this is where Vrabel has got to really 
buy into this young quarterback and get him pieces that will make him better, but then also work. You know, Vrabel's a great defensive-minded head coach, and he's going to work with this young quarterback to teach him everything he can about defensive schemes, but Vrabel's also got to do his part as well to dig into that offensive side and really develop this offense around a young quarterback. And if he does not do that, then you will see Tennessee falter. You will see them fall and, you know, start sliding back in the division as this division is only getting younger. As I say that the next team we're going to talk about has a 14, 15 year veteran quarterback that they traded for. Um, But, you know, the rest, the rest of the division younger quarterbacks, younger, and they're already in their rebuild. They're already developing the talent to get them set for the future, to establish those wins, establish the fan base again, and hopefully establish a division title as well. Yeah, I just – I look at their schedule and I just I'm not in favor of their schedule. I think you know they have a okay start to the season, then they hit their bye week and I just it's going to be a tough year I think this year. I mm-hmm. there's a lot of pieces that need to hit again for them to succeed. Um like you said Tannehill's not a He's been such an efficient quarterback. To an extent. To an extent. And, you know, they brought in Hooper, which I think was a great addition at tight end. Um, But then when you lose A.J. Brown, Hooper's kind of looking at your number one option because we don't know if Woods is going to stay healthy and what's going to go in there. How's his recovery going? Um, And then, you know, the rumors have been – your rookie's not even in shape, which who knows if that's true or not, but it's hard for a rookie to take over, you know, a season. Mm-hmm. And so we'll see. Their their defense is good, but their defense isn't good enough to carry them to 10 wins. No, and I, I think one of the more scarier parts of this Tennessee offense as well is that offensive line my goodness it it's kind of one where I just look at and I kind of cringe because I don't see a solid piece you know you see familiar names like Taylor Lewan um and Nate Davis on there and Ben Jones but you you don't see a, a true solid piece that can hold a line together not worry about injuries not worry about you know holdings at the wrong time or, you know, giving up crucial sack. This offensive line is, is one that is, is one of the weaker ones in my opinion in, in the league. And that's also playing played into the factor of Tannehill later on in the season, because they are getting, they're so out. They're just riddled with injuries and, when you're having to make so many changes on an offensive line, there is no chemistry with your quarterback. There is no, you know, rhythm or anything. And so if you're getting going up against say the Rams or the bills or, you know, Von, Von Miller, whoever, 
and you're having to go against that on the edge edge rush or you know having him do a move onto the inside it's difficult to go against especially when you're one that hasn't been in there all season long so they really need to work on this offensive line and really get some cohesiveness together if they want to try and you know win some games Absolutely. I agree. They're, and that's, I was, you know, I'd like them to pick up a running back, but right now there's the running back options to pick up are kind of bleak. So that's why they've trusted Derrick Henry for so long to be such great production. Um, but, you know, eventually your workhorse wears out. And he did last year. And so they, I don't feel like they have anything solid behind him, um, which, you know, they had games where they were able to succeed with Tannehill throwing the ball. And kudos to that. He proved a lot of people wrong that he could, you know, be a successful thrower. But we'll, we'll see. So Titans, they've got, they've got some rough batches to work with. Um, you know, I think the next team in this, in this division, in my opinion, going to win it. In your opinion, they're probably going to win the division as well. Um, and that's because of the moves they made this offseason, the pieces they brought in defensively, offensively, um, but then also the pieces they already had on this team. And that's the Indianapolis Colts. They get rid of Carson Wentz, send him over to the Commanders, they bring in Matt Ryan from the Falcons, um, finally get a good veteran quarterback that is consistent, accurate, knows how to win, has won before, and pair him with Jonathan Taylor in that backfield, and then a very strong offensive line, especially with Quentin Nelson on that line. And then they bring in Stephon Gilmore, on the defensive side of the ball, this Colts team has some scary pieces, and I'm excited to see what they do. The Colts look very strong. And honestly, this team is not a lot different than they were last year, kind of. Except the biggest difference is the quarterback. Mm-hmm. Which, who didn't even have a great year last year. Now, he did have a terrible offensive line. He didn't have a lot of pass weapons. And people were hurt or suspended or X, Y, and Z. But you look at it and you go, we traded for one quarterback who all he had to do was win and we're in. And he choked. So now we go get a guy that's roughly, what, 10, 15 years older or 10 years older, and we have more hope in him, even though he had maybe equal to a lesser, you know, season with Atlanta. Mm -hmm. Um, But you've got a guy that can throw the ball, who stays healthy, who's had – such good success behind a 
questionable offense. Now he goes to a team with a top five, maybe the best offensive line in the league. Yes. And you've got three or four weapons. You've got a top running back. They've already said that they're going to use Hines as their second back and create, you know, plays for him. So well, this then is you, a team that's really going to win. And then you've got Philip Lindsay, you know, as a third running back on that roster as well. A good physical back that can come in in different situations and has some good hands coming out of the backfield as well. So just right there, that backfield, you know, between Taylor, Hines, and Lindsay is already, you know, if not the same caliber as last year, or if not better. Um, but then you throw in other weapons like Pittman Jr., You've got Pierce. You've got Campbell. Um, now tight end position, you've got Allie Cox. I, I'm a little worried for tight end for him. Um, but if they're able to at least continue the run game and get defenses to buy into that to then work the play action – and that is something Matt Ryan sells so well um, in his offensive scheme, then it's going to open up some options in the ball game um, for the receivers to have, you know, some quick outs or coming across the middle or to where they can get those little short dink and donk yardages to make a drive downfield and get into the red zone. And Jelani Woods is the rookie tight end out of Virginia that they got in the third round. He could be a guy that maybe helps make some plays and ends up, you know, maybe beating Granson out for that second tight end spot and kind of develops into a tight end one maybe late in the year and maybe pushes – Mo Alley Cox out or challenges Cox for the starting job and they go into next year and let Cox go or trade him or whatever. So they have talent. I want to see Paris Campbell stay healthy. I know that's kind of been a tough thing for him lately. Um, yes. Alex Pierce has, you know, been – marked as a top wide receiver in this draft somebody that could you know depending on the scheme that he's in could be very successful and with his frame I think he's a perfect fit for this this uh organization now we mentioned that offensive line um and, you know, probably the biggest name on the on the offensive line is definitely Quentin Nelson. But you've got guys, you know, also on there. Matt Pryor, Ryan Kelly, Danny Pittner, and Braden Smith. Um, just as your other starting offensive line, you know, you mentioned it. If it's not the best offensive lineman in the league, then it's definitely top five, if not top three. What – can we see with this offensive line and what can they do for Matty, Matty ice? 
Um, you know, you mentioned it. He did not have the best offensive line last year, the past couple seasons in Atlanta, and now he's coming into one of the best in the league. So what does this show and give Matty Ice? It gives him a clean pocket. <laughs> it, it's a – so this offensive line is kind of like the Cowboys was a couple of – you know, handful of years ago where they were so young, but they were so talented and so good up front that when it came to sign contracts, you had to kind of pick and choose who you felt that you could replace depending on the draft coming up in the next year or two, free agency and everything like that. And so I kind of see that's what's going to happen here. But with them being – so young and dominant now you have the possibility to take advantage of having an older quarterback, keeping them healthy, keeping them upright. He might not take a lot of sacks, but he's not also going to, he's not going to get hit a lot either. Uh You know, sometimes hitting the quarterback leaves a bigger impression than sacking the quarterback. Because it's almost that mental game of, even though I didn't sack you, I hit you. And I'm right there. If I sack you, okay, well, we need to adjust our protection when you do this. But if I come and hit you two or three times in in five or six plays in a row, you know that I'm there. And it doesn't matter what you're doing, I'm there and I'm hitting you. That's not happening with this line. No. And they're also moving guys when it's a run play. And they're creating a two-yard barrier. And if an if a running back can get two yards without even being touched yet, it's a lot easier for him to get five or six yards on a carry. You know, last year we kind of saw it with Najee Harris where if he got a five-yard carry, is because he was carrying guys five yards. With Jonathan Taylor, he has that ability, but he's not – he doesn't have the frame Harris does. So if you can just eliminate the extra hit or two at the line of scrimmage and, hey, you got a clean two- or three-yard run – five, six-yard carries add up quickly to big first downs and touchdowns. And if this is a team that if they can execute quickly and they get up 14 nothing in the first quarter, all right, that third or fourth drive, come out, let's run the ball, let's get two or three first downs, and let's only pass maybe two or three times, and let's really be efficient at running the ball run the clock, and now let's get to two-minute. Okay, now let's, you know, let Matty Ice kind of do what he does, and now we're up by three or four scores at halftime, or at half we put three or four scores up, and now your defense can not feel the pressure having to stop, but feeling confident that if they do mess up, they've got an offense that can move the ball. Yes, and you mentioned this defense, you know, one that you don't want them to feel the pressure. 
Um, and if they even do feel the pressure, it's a good thing because of the veteran leadership they have for this defense that's able to kind of keep the younger guys under control, wrapped in, and put them in the correct direction and get the calls out correctly and, and communicate on the field. Um, DeForest Bunk- Buckner and Stefan Gilmore right there. Those two are the probably strong. And yes, it's Gilmore's first year in this defensive system, but he's the type of guy that can come in, plug and play and make a difference on a defense. And it, with the type of physicality he has, it's, it's going to be fun to see what he can do. Um, you know, taking command of that defense. No, absolutely. And I think another guy that isn't, you know, a household name just yet is Bobby Okariki, the middle linebacker. Oh, yes. 2019 draft pick, third round pick from Stanford, 25 years old. He's He's a solid player. Now, he's not a big that guy but he's he's a tackler and, and for he a guy sprints, in the of the, sprints to the ball yeah and you know sometimes I feel like we make too much of an emphasis on sacks because they are big plays and they kind of do change the outcome of the game in certain scenarios but if I can have a linebacker in the middle of the field that can rack up seven, eight, nine, ten tackles in a game, I know that he's there and he's making the play and he's making the stop. And that's what I want from a middle linebacker, you know? And I I really think this is a guy that can be a difference maker for him this year and might have a breakout year. Well, another thing I like about Okariki, too, is that he's a good coverage linebacker. So when you do have those guys coming across the middle or the tight end that he's got to cover, he doesn't stray away from it. He's physical. And you see pass breakups or you see that hard, you know, as the ball starting to arrive, you know, if the catch does happen, but he's not allowing, you know, the yards after catch, the yak. Um Mm-hmm. The place play is stopping right there. So if you to have a good solid coverage linebacker as well as one that you know is great at tackling, has that good foundation, that good core, and is constantly getting in action on every single play, then that's a good solid point of the defense. Absolutely. Now, I'm not a big fan of Blankenship as their kicker. He's He's been frustrating for me. So I think this is kind of the year that if he can't become a little more solid, they could replace him by mid, before midseason. 
Yes. I mean, you're, you're looking at him last year, a 78% field goal percentage, 87% on extra points. Um, career, he's looking at 84.3% on field goals. And on extra points, he is 50 for 53. Um, career long is only 53 yards. His average is 35. Um yeah, he was cool coming out of college, the glasses and everything else, you know, and the story out of Georgia. But it's like you said, he's not producing and he's not at that crucial, he's not, not performing in the crucial moments. Um, and with a quarterback like, like Matt Ryan, he's the type of guy that's going to get you into those crucial moments where you will have to maybe rely on your kicking game. And if you don't trust your kicker, then you're going to be in some scary predicaments to where you're kind of questioning, do I leave the offensive out there, leave the offense out and try and go for it with, you know, what, eight, 10, 15 seconds left on a fourth and 12 from the 24 yard line. Or do I throw out the kicker? and see if he can make that, um, you know, with the pressure on the line. So those are the type of things a team is already thinking about before the season has even started. Yep. It doesn't sound like much, but a kicker can make all the difference. And we have seen that so many times in our lives from college to our own teams. Um, you know, kickers, it's a very mental game for him. It really is. So, speaking of a mental game, you know, you, you can kind of play this in with Houston. They've had a lot happen over the past couple of years. The Deshaun Watson allegations where he sat out all of last year. You had David Cullen as a brand new head coach, no experience, um, really shouldn't have had the job to begin with. And, you know, Davis Mills coming in, doing a decent job um, last year. But the Texans were the Texans and injuries hit them and, you know, bad play on the field hit them and just a culmination of things just led to this Texans team not being able to produce and, you know, get a good product out on the field last year. And now we go into this season, Deshaun Watson's gone to the Browns. Lovey Smith comes back to the sidelines in the NFL and has taken over this team. Um, but probably one guy you and I were both high on coming into this year. Great rookie. Um, John Mechie, he's out for the rookie year and potentially foreseeable future with cancer. Um, you know, he's going to see what he can do. Um, maybe hopefully take a page out of Eric Berry, um, chapter and, you know, be able to come back and produce, but for such a young kid coming out of college and have this hit him, um, you can only hope the Texans rally around him and, do everything they can as an organization to support him um, 
mentally, physically, uh, but then also just financially as a team as well. Um, you do, you don't, you, you hope that no matter what happens with Mechie, the Texans take care of him. Absolutely. Um, this was a, this was a guy I was targeting on a lot of dynasty drafts just because of his, um, his speed, his route running. He's a top, he's a top player in the league. Um, he could be a top player in the league. He was a top player in college. And so it's, it's sad. I, I think it is, it's, it's early. So I think they're able to catch it and kind of maybe fight it and be successful early with it since they caught it so early, um, which is awesome that, you know, we're going to pray that next year he can make this uh, move back to the NFL and start playing. Um, but I'm excited to see what Lovey Smith can do. I always thought he was a good coach. Yes. Um, he just didn't have an organization behind him that supported him all the, all the time. And so what I'm hoping, and I really believe the Texans are going to do, is take their time and let him rebuild. It's not going to be a two-year process or a one-year process. This is going to take four or five years to really make some moves, you know, especially after how the organization was left a couple years ago with top players wanting to sit out and top players being traded away for basically nothing. Um, you know, they brought in a nice running back rookie Pierce, um, who I think can really be a productive guy. Um, Mills, I honestly think is their quarterback of the future. I don't know if they're completely sold on him yet. So it, it's really kind of a year for him to step up and produce and show that he's the guy. Now with Mechie being gone and being the deep threat type of weapon to support Brandon Cooks, I don't know if that can happen as much. Um, like to see what they could do with free agency and maybe if they can bring in somebody. I have them finishing last in the division with going three and 14. And that's not really because I don't like the team. I just, they're young. They don't have a lot of talent. And so the best thing for them is to let the young guys play, figure it out, get some experience and set yourself up for a good draft pick next year. So now if you do get Mechie back, you have another top wide receiver talent college talent and you have whatever draft pick you have next year coming in even if it's defense it's just it's a top level talent back on your roster yes and see that's one thing where i look at with this with this roster and you you touched on it it's the age gaps you go from one position to where it's young guys you go into the next position and you have some veterans, ones that have been in the league multiple years, you know, reaching maybe what could be 
towards the end of their prime, you know, or their peak years in the league and starting on that downhill climb. Um, and some guys that just never really reached that full peak and still trying to find it. Um, you know, and one of those guys, Chris Conley, um, Laramie Tunsil, I've never really been a big fan of um, good physical tackle, but I, I don't think he gets the job done. Um, but you look at this roster and you see age all over the place, but then you see young guys all over the place as well. So you said it best. They have to allow Lovey Smith to get the correct pieces into place. It's going to take a couple years. Um, I, I think three to four years at best, you're thinking four to five. Um, but if they allow him to get the proper pieces into place, and this is where the fan base, the fan base has to be patient as well. You can't pressure the organization to make a change because a lot of times the organizations will buy into that pressure because they see ticket sales starting to decline if the fan base is unhappy. So the fan base has really got to step back and go, hey, you know, maybe this is what has to happen for us to get back to the next level. So if I'm a Houston Texans fan, I am, I'm buying in for Lovey Smith, but he's got to show me a little bit of results here at the beginning with what he has, but then throughout free agency, throughout the draft, offseason, anything else, he's got to do his part to bring in the weapons that will ultimately set us then up for success down the road in the future in the next couple years and if the texans can't do that then they're going to continue to sit at the bottom of the cellar in the safc south and we're just going to start putting them into conversations of the you know cleveland browns you know the jacksonville jaguars you know they're just the teams that can't win Mm-hmm. No, I completely agree. You know, this is going to be – it's going to be a long season for them, but we said that last year for them, and they kind of upset um, a couple teams last year. And so – Yeah, you, you, look, you look at Houston as a franchise. This is the 20th season for Houston. They came into the league in 2002. Yeah. And – yeah, they've had some success and made the playoffs and stuff like that, but they don't have anything else to show for it. They don't have, you know, AFC title, you know, they don't have AFC title game um, appearance to show or anything. They don't have a Super Bowl to show. So as a franchise, you've, you've got to look at them and go, when are you going to produce the results for my fan base and was bringing this franchise into the league a good, a good, good thing? Um, you know, ultimately I think it was, but 20 years and not showing to have much to show is disheartening for a fan base. Well, and you also had a- – I mean, I get what you're saying, and that's 20 years is hard, um, you know, not to see, basically not to see success, at least at, like, the playoff level, just getting to the playoffs and maybe winning a game or two here and there, um, you know, or being a playoff team consistently. 
And it's not the lack of... It's not the lack of trying or anything. It's just the lack no. of... It, it's it's a lack of being able to close out a ball game um, or maybe a lack of experience. Um, you know, I've, I've always kind of liked Houston, but they're not able to fully capitalize on veteran leadership they've had. Um, they've always had that injury bug and everything like that as well. So that does play in play into it, but to have your franchise turn 20 years old and you're, you're sitting there kind of questioning, well, what have you done for me? What have you done for this city? Um, yes, here's who you have had um, quarterback wise, running back wise, um, receiver wise, defensive end, you know, JJ Watt, DeAndre Hopkins, um, you know, you had um, Carr, uh, Matt Schaub, you know, starting out the franchise, um, Deshaun Watson, you know, the Watson years with Watt and Hopkins were probably the best years they But again, they couldn't produce the result at the end. No, and I think Bill O'Brien kind of kind of did them wrong by trading, you know, Hopkins away and not really getting much for him, you know. Yes. I understand. Yeah, Bill O'Brien had... definitely the the dark part of the franchise. Yeah, I mean, I understand he might have had a heavy contract or was looking to renegotiate, so that makes it difficult on a franchise, but you should have got a first round pick out of him at least two second round picks from him and you got a couple washed up running backs. So yeah. That didn't help the organization. Watson leaves. I you don't get anything from him for him. JJ Watt leaves, you don't get anything for him. So your your best players fade away and you get nothing to show for it besides a couple guys that love the city and fans that love the players that aren't there anymore. So that's kind of on ownership, but that's on the head coach and you know, I think Lovey Smith is smarter than that. So I, I'm excited to see what he can do in the next couple of years and be competitive. Yes. So, you've got anything else for this Houston franchise to add in um, before we move on to our final team in this AFC South? No, I think I'm good on Houston. All right. So, that's where we will move on. Um, we'll go into the Jacksonville Jaguars. You know, again, another team, very young, a uh, lot of changes again in the offseason um, with this team. Urban Meyer won that question, them even hiring in the beginning, um, why they would even do that. He's out after his first year. Doug Peterson, a great hire, um, one I think that is going to only make Trevor Lawrence better. Um, 
as a quarterback, having him as a head coach um, is in at the head coaching position. And, you know, they're just bringing in pieces to build around Lawrence and ETN and the rest of that offense. And then they still have a very solid defense um, as well. I think the Jaguars are a sneaky team this year. Yes. I I have them finishing second, going eight and nine. But they're kind of a team that could easily win five games, or they're kind of a team that can might push and maybe win nine games. So I kind of have them at eight and nine. But depending on how efficient this offense can be and how threatening it can be. I know there's a lot of people saying that they don't think ETN is going to be a great fit. Uh, they're going to rely on Robertson or Robinson's not going to be healthy and he's going to be out and now it's going to be all on ETN. There's a lot they can do here. And we know Peterson likes to use two running back systems, which is fine. Let's keep your guys healthy, especially your bigger back that's had injury problems. So there's a lot they can do. I'm excited. The only question mark I have is they don't have a true number one wide receiver that we've at least seen yet. You know, we have guys that have been the number two, number three option that haven't really ever got the shot to be number one, but now they do. So it's kind of let's step up, see if you can actually play ball, and be the guy to lead the organization. You know, and you mentioned that wide receiver core. You know, Chris, Christian Cook, um, Marvin Jones Jr., Zay Jones, and, you know, then you've got uh, Laquan Treadwell uh, in the mix as well, Marvin Hall, um, Chenault Jr. So you've got some guys in there, and then Jamal Agnew, um, you've got some guys that – are names that people have heard about, but they just haven't proven themselves to be in that top spot. Um, now I think Marvin Jones or Christian cook could definitely do that. Um, but I'm looking more at that tight end position with Evan Ingram, um, you know, a good veteran guy. And one, I think Trevor Lawrence will rely on um, pretty heavily this year. No, I'm super – I'm kind of up on Evan Ingram. He had a great rookie year, had some down years in New York, injuries kind of hit him, quarterback situation, terrible offenses, X, Y, and Z. But I'm, I've kind of been buying Ingram as a sleeper backup tight end a little bit in some leagues, fantasy-wise, because I think he could be a true um, – weapon for Trevor Lawrence, especially as a um, as a dump-off yes. receiver. And so I think it's going to help kind of spread the spread the field a little bit. He's athletic to, you know, do more than just dink and dunk passes like some tight ends. So I think that'll help as well. Um, but Trevor Lawrence, I think this could be the year where he actually has a real quarter, a real coach behind him that could really kind of 
reset his value in the league. Yes. And it's good for Lawrence to have a head coach that has played the position and, you know, has also had success winning as a head coach as well. You know, he won that Super Bowl in Philly um, with Nick Foles, with Carson Wentz, um, against Tom Brady. And he was able to put together a team um, that not only had to fight through some injuries um, and some adversity, but he put it together, kept them strong, kept them motivated, and kept the young guys playing and let them have fun. And I, I think that's a one thing Peterson does well is he lets his players have fun. And when a player can have fun, um, especially when you're a young guy like Trevor Lawrence, you know, he had so much fun at Clemson playing. And last year he comes in the league and it's his first losing season is his whole entire career from peewee ball to high school to college. And so it's just, it wasn't fun for him. So you definitely saw that. You saw it on the field, in the locker room, you know, in the media and everything else. Trevor Lawrence just wasn't happy. He wasn't having fun. But I think this year with Doug Peterson, that changes um, because he'll be able to kind of get back to that Trevor Lawrence we saw in Clemson to where he can, you know, get those dink and dunks, but get the ball down the field and have fun with ETN coming out of the backfield. Um, and, and so that, I, that really makes me excited for Jacksonville, um, but scares me as well because I don't want Jacksonville to just go, oh, hey, we're here, and really get too overconfident in themselves as well because once that starts to happen, they're going to start trying skipping ahead to more crucial games on the schedule and going to try and pass up games – and game planning that they think they can already just count as a win. And so when you start becoming overconfident, that's when you start seeing some issues. So Jacksonville has to do a good job this year of having fun, getting confident, but also reeling themselves back in to the mix as well. Absolutely. And this team has a strong young defense that is still developing, still growing. Um, but the last seven, their last seven games, I had them going five and two, which is a little bit of a surprise. I think they have an upset uh, or maybe two upsets in that seven games. Um, you know, it's a little bold thinking, but I think they can finish this season off five and two that's gonna give them a little boost going into the off season of what's working what's not working where do we need to move um what does our draft need to look like and so it it's an interesting it's an interesting season and it's definitely a team that i'm going to highlight all year long yes. Yes. So. Definitely some fun things coming out of Jacksonville. Um, you know, I, I'm excited to see what they do this season, but then also in the future. Um, AFC South, it's it's going to be 
a parity division. Um, you've got a lot of moving parts throughout this whole entire division um, and a lot of uncertainty with each team as well. Um, so I think this year is a year to where we can see some identities made um, but or some identities broken um, or changed in this division. Uh, but yeah, I, uh, that's kind of where I see this division right now. No, I do too. It's it's a young division with one experienced quarterback at the helm, and his experience is going to kind of lead to taking the the division and maybe help make them make a playoff push. But it's well, Tannehill, I guess, is experienced. He's not really a young guy anymore, but I want, I just, it brings up the question of what happens if they're struggling? Are they going to give, you know, Willis a shot to maybe just develop and see what they have in him? Or are they just going to let Tannehill ride it out and try to make the plays? So. Yeah, that, that'll definitely be a, a big issue for that Tennessee team. Um, you know, I, I said it, I, I think if they're struggling, then you see Tannehill get benched maybe halfway or three quarters into the season and Willis takes over. Um, but it, Or if Tannehill is doing what Tannehill does best and it's getting you wins, but then in the crucial games, he's falling apart, throwing the interceptions and everything else, then I think we see a change in the offseason. Um, and this division just gets younger and younger again, uh, because we know Matt Ryan doesn't have many years left in this league. So they, Indianapolis themselves, they've got to start looking for a quarterback in the draft in the next several years and start getting him developed. So if I'm Indy, I'm looking next year at this draft and I'm looking to see who I can bring in underneath Matt Ryan and get him to learn from one of the better guys accuracy wise to play in this league absolutely and right now right now i have after doing my predictions and stuff i have Colts at the 25th pick of the draft um which this next draft is gonna be quarterback heavy supposedly um, we'll see how that happens with how college football plays out, who gets hurt, who has just a down year. You know, it could be a quarterback-heavy draft, and it turns out to only be, you know, three guys that everybody likes. Um, mm-hmm. But if they're, if they're that far down in the draft, which I think they're going to be in the 20s anyways, it, they're going to have to do something if they want to get a quarterback and maybe jump in jump up into the teens you know what I mean yes and so or do they just sit and wait and maybe you know get somebody in the later rounds and maybe just develop somebody like you know David Mills um and then just write it out and see what happens in the next year or two after that but you know if you're having success now do you want to 
risk it to get a young quarterback or ride it out. Uh, which I think the Colts have always been a team that if they're winning, they're going to keep it. Um, yes. So That's I, definitely I the Jim, Jimmer's same motto. Yeah, and I don't see them jumping up in the draft unless they absolutely have to. So, you know, now if uh, Matt Ryan comes out and says, hey, I'm retiring after, you know, at the end of the year, then it's like, oh, crap, well – we don't have anybody. We're going to have to, you know, trade up in the draft to get a quarterback or stay where we're at, draft what's best available, and kind of suck at quarterback for a year and maybe benefit for it next year. So I know that was a random side conversation, but it was just something I wanted to bring up real quick. And um, with the Tennessee Titans picking up Willis, it, it it's kind of the same thing that he was he was the best player available at the position at that posi- point in the draft at that position in the draft. So they bring in a guy that's kind of out of their current system but you know can they work their system around to adapt it to his style and I think they can and we've kind of already talked about this with the Dolphins with Tua you know what do they do next year if Tua doesn't have a great Mm -hmm. season you know could could um, Tannehill maybe look to go to Miami if somehow they decide to move on from him early and want to go to Wilson next year, which I don't think will happen. This is kind of just a exaggerated. Yeah, I, I don't think Tannehill reunited. Um, there's kind of, I think, sour notes there still uh, with him leaving and, you know, getting sent to Tennessee. Um, but it's – to play in the back of your head though because it's it's just that fun little storyline yeah and right now if you look at the teams everybody that has a quarterback that they want is set for the next three years everybody mm-hmm. that doesn't have the quarterback they want is looking to next year and so it's do I have to kind of suck up my pride and go to the team I don't really care care about? Or do I ride it out and see what free agency brings and wait until July to maybe sign with somebody? You know, Detroit's another option for him. You know, if Jared Goff has another struggle at the this year and they don't produce wins, maybe they change their emphasis and maybe bring in a you know, a manager at quarterback. Um, Because right now, the only other teams that need a quarterback are the Giants. Seattle needs a quarterback, but they're letting Geno Smith and Drew Locke kind of fight it out. And I feel like that's a team that they're eyeing eyeing a quarterback next year. 
I still think yeah. right now Seattle's in the mix for the Jimmy Garoppolo sweepstakes. Um, 49ers have moved on from Garoppolo. They said he can start exploring a trade. Um, I think it's a little too late in the offseason now, but I think Seattle is is a team you've got to keep an eye on for Garoppolo. Yeah, and I, I get that. Do the 49ers want to trade to Seattle? Oh, no, because you don't want to strengthen the a division opponent. Exactly. But then you're stuck in the position of, well, do we trade him and get value or do we cut him and he just ends up siding with them possibly anyways. And so now we just lost any opportunity to get anything from, from trading him. Now that I don't, which we'll talk about this later, but you know, I don't think that's a big upgrade for Seattle just because I think that's a, organization that's kind of stru- in the middle of a struggle but yes anyways this uh this division i think is it's up and coming with two good organizations they've got an organization that's i think going to start struggling going downhill with the titans um they just they've had too much They've had too much change for them to stay consistent. Yes. And so I, I think it's going to start unraveling. I went, Once you start getting older in the division, that's when things start falling apart. Um, your players start getting injured and everything else. So I completely agree with you there. Um, I'm looking forward to next week as we wrap up the AFC. Uh, we get to go into the AFC North. We'll get to talk the Steelers um, and Kenny Pickett um, and Mitchell Trubisky. We'll get to talk the Ravens and Lamar Jackson. Um, we'll get to talk the Browns and what they're doing with Watson, Brissett, Rosen. Um, and we'll get to talk the Bengals coming off the Super Bowl appearance. Uh, Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, um, the worst, probably the worst offensive line in the league last year, and how they couldn't protect Burrow, but yet they still made it to the Super Bowl. Um, and what they need to do to solidify that, and did they? Uh, so AFC North next week on the podcast. Excited for that. We'll have our continuation of the NCAA preseason top twenty-five as we'll release twenty through sixteen, um, respectively, for both of us. And who knows what headlines drop in, you know, the world of sports, you know, this coming week, what we'll see happen. Um, You know, I almost on the coin toss threw in some NASCAR on there with the disqualifications of Denny Hamlin and Kyle Busch. Um, You know, there's been some fun topics coming out of the whole entire sports world um, that we could have potentially talked on coin toss. And maybe next week we'll have something fun uh, from a different sport that we can throw in there and get your take on it get my take and just have some fun with it i mean that's the biggest thing with this podcast is we're just having fun we're talking and we're just letting letting us letting the breeze go uh and I, I, that that's probably what's the best well and to touch on your racing comment real quick i i got the you know, I watched the last race of the summer schedule for the 
superstar racing experience. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it's a lot of veteran racers, uh, a couple younger guys, but it's mostly just veteran racers that have been around for a while that race these small small traditional old school cars some dirt tracks some traditional i loved it it was it was so cool it's a league that i would love to get behind and support and definitely you know my my mind's automatically thinking like how do i get this to tulsa or how do i make this like a <laughs> an event um because I, I think it's just, it's something fun. It's cool. It's it's not a big, it's not a, as big as, you know, NASCAR itself with the cup and everything like that. But it's just a nice, simple race that is fun to watch veterans. Like Michael Walter, he races still. Mm-hmm. Um, Tony, Tony Stewart, you've got uh, Helio Castroneves, Tony Khan, Dave Blaney, and Ryan yep. Blaney getting to come and race each other, father son. That was probably one of the biggest storylines going into this past week's race there at Sharon. Only for it to then get have Ryan Blaney taken out what on like lap three, um, yeah, because of oh gosh I forget the kid's name, but he he has no business in there driving because all he's ever doing is just wrecking. Um, the guy who took out Blaney. But then you've got guys like Ryan Newman, Ken Schrader, Greg Biffle um, coming in there and having fun. You've got current drivers, um, Chase Elliott, Haley Deegan, a really good up-and-coming driver um, at, the cu- at the truck level right now, um, mm-hmm. could potentially break into the Xfinity Series in the next year or two as well, um, and then maybe look for her to make a name for herself in the Cup Series within five years. So it, there's a lot of fun stuff going on with that SRX, and I love how they go from the dirt tracks to, you know, the asphalt, and it, they make they're having they're they're having fun with it. They're short races, and that's one thing NASCAR gets a lot of heat on is the races are so drawn out. You know, make it like F Formula One or IndyCar to where they're shorter races. Um, it's more fan involved. Um, and this is where it comes down onto promoters and everything too. And you see the, the promoters at these tracks for the SRX, they're getting fans involved. They're having giant concerts, carnivals, stuff like that at these, um, you know, tracks going up to the race and the features. And then the features are short enough to where it's keeping the fan engagement at home, but then also at the track and then, the feature races are just long enough as well to where they're not, you know, overly drawn out either. Exactly. And so I love it. I, I used to go to dirt track races when I was younger with my dad. Um, It's definitely something that I want to start going to again. And I think this is a great episode. It was, that is, uh, you know, like we always say, give us a follow on Twitter at Sports Trenches uh, podcast every Friday morning, 10 a.m. on Spotify, Anchor, and Apple Podcasts. And, you know, any feedback, questions, comments, concerns, uh, 
recipes for a holiday dinner, you know, send us over, send it over to us and, uh, you know, we'll be happy to try it out, give it a shot and, uh, you know, let you know what we think of grandma's, uh, chicken pot pie recipe as well. But, um, they know episode seven in the books and be back next week with episode eight, AFC North breakdown here on in the trenches sports.